Today's special can edition of the Digiday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Vivo, the leading provider of premium music videos. I'm sure you know Vivo. But did you know that content has never been more important and powerful to audiences and brands alike? As a modern-day content network, Vivo is home to the most coveted premium music video catalog starring the world's biggest celebrities and pop culture icons from the last 50 years. The cultural continuum of music videos spans generation, is perpetually relevant, and continues to evolve with audiences. With 924 million monthly global viewers, Vivo is unique in its ability to provide brands unparalleled scale against hard-to-reach audiences within a, yes, brand-safe environment. This is an issue that is coming up quite a bit in Cannes this year. Visit vivo.com slash advertising to learn more. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast Can Edition. We have made it all the way till Thursday. On this episode, I talk live with Sarah Personet. Um, Sarah is the Twitter VP of Global Client Solutions, and we recorded this earlier today at the Twitter beach in front of a live audience. Um, it was really wonderful, and it was a beautiful location, let me tell you. Um, it's hard to record on a beach, so this conversation starts with a loud sound, apparently, but it, it will be okay in just a minute. Just stick with it, please. Sorry for the inconvenience, um, but I hope you do uh, stick with it. Uh, it is a great conversation. Um, we talk a lot about you know whether she's hearing from advertisers about brand safety and about um, Twitter's efforts to um, sort of clean up its platform um, and to have it be a place for healthy interactions and not the kind of unhealthy interactions that we've seen so much. Um, but give it a listen. You've been talking to clients all week. What's the top thing that they want from Twitter? Top thing they want from Twitter is understanding how to launch their brand, a new product, a new marketing message in this new world order, order where we see that the world has gone mobile. We see that consumer fragmentation around attention is greater than ever before. Something we've been talking about for years and years and years, but hasn't changed. The one thing that needs to change are the principles and the best practices around how they think about launching to this new world. And that's been a really, really deep conversation that we've been having with folks. Okay, how about the bad stuff? How about like brand safety? How about fraud? Misinformation. I could All of the on. above. Um, <laughs> no, has this come no. up? Because a lot of times, a lot of times brands, um, you know, they act shocked and horrified that there's bad stuff on the internet, um, and and then you know they do that publicly, but they don't really they don't really do much like with their spending. So I'm just wondering if brand safety is really a part of any of these conversations. I think from brand safety all the way through to regulation. Both hot topics um, at this time. We actually had a panel yesterday specifically talking around brand safety, what we are doing in order to invest in this space and ensure that brands have a high quality, safe environment to um, scale and support their brands and see them grow, but also connect with people authentically on our platform. Um, a very big topic of discussion. I think the reason why regulation is a hot topic is because we're moving from a relatively 
unregulated world to a highly regulated world. And clients today want to understand how are we thinking about that as a platform? What are the principles in place in order to ensure that the, the best regulation and best legislation um, can be enforced here and around the world? So you were at Facebook, and I, I'm, I'm really struck by how many- We were on a panel together. Yeah, we were on a panel. Yeah. It's not the first time Sarah and I have done this. Um, but uh, I'm struck by how the tune has really changed with tech platforms asking for regulation. You don't frequently see very large companies asking to be regulated. So I think a couple of things have occurred. First, let's break down what can be regulated, right? There is um, there's a world of content moderation, there's data privacy and protection, and then there's antitrust. And we want to make sure as the number one priority of our platform and our number one priority as a company is that we are creating a healthy and secure environment for people to engage in the public conversation. And so content creation and content moderation is a big part of being able to achieve that goal. This isn't this isn't new. This isn't a new conversation. It's not new to our product roadmap. It's actually been a key priority for us as a company for a very long period of time. And, and Jack, on every earnings call, actually talks about how our number one priority is health. Yeah, but uh, the, the question is, and I, th I assume brands would, would bring this up, but maybe they wouldn't. Um, you guys don't want to be put in the position, and Facebook doesn't want to be put in the position, and any tech company does, does not want to be put in the position of quote-unquote censoring. Um, because anytime there is a moderation of speech, it becomes, well, first, people incorrectly say it's a First Amendment issue, and that's about the government. But like they say, well, you're favoring one side over the other. I think that's fair. Um, for us in particular, we, we tread really carefully in making sure that we are serving, again, that public conversation. We want to make sure that all sides of a discussion or a debate can be seen and can be heard. And if you even think about election integrity for us, a topic that we take really seriously, we want to make sure always that a political leader can actually share out his or her perspective and opinion in the world, and that alongside that political leader or that opinion leader is also a journalist who is fact-checking and helping to communicate and contribute to the conversation alongside of that leader. So always being able to see all sides of the conversation are mission critical, and that's where I think censorship, to your point, we don't ever want to censor, but we also want to make sure that policies that protect people and ensure that they feel safe and secure on the platform also um, shine through. Mm -hmm. And that's the piece that we're always um, going to consistently be looking at. So how does this map back to brands? I mean, obviously, a lot of people are using Twitter. I mean, I'm a journalist, so I have to use Twitter like 18 hours a day, right? It's like a requirement. Um, so you're reaching a ton of people, um, and, and, a, and a particular type of people. Um, but how, how much do advertisers really care about the fact that anytime you're going to have a lot of people on a platform that is made for um, talking, that some of the speech is going to be not what they would consider brand safe? Well, first, let, let's zoom out. Um, I think it's important to set the context around Twitter. So Twitter moves at the speed of culture, and it moves at the speed of conversation. Every single day, people wake up here and around the world to understand what's happening in the world. Things that they care about, topics and interests, events that are going on that they want to engage in, they want to understand, and they want to be informed about. 
and sort of these unique attributes of this particular platform are that it's public, that it's live, everything's happening in real time, and that it's globally distributed. So for a brand, what every single brand cares about is making sure that they can reach the most leaned in, highly engaged audience here and again around the world or whatever specific market matters to them. And you find that on Twitter, right? You find the most valuable audience when they are most receptive because of why and when they are coming to the platform. What a brand cares about is first and foremost, making sure that their launches are successful, making sure that they can connect to the conversation that's culturally relevant today, and then that they can do that in a brand safe way and that they can trust the platforms that they are putting their creative and their content on, that they can trust the platforms that enable and allow for conversation to occur. And this is why it is such a critical, brand safety is such a critical component to the overall and overarching story around health in particular and why we make that a priority for the company. Okay, so there is like a business reason to focus on health, not just, you know, okay, it's... It's not a good look for Twitter, um, but there's an actual, you can map it back to like a business goal. Because usually things that like, you know, make money, I, I, I haven't been on the earnings call, but like usually, you know, they're, they're just about the money, not about the safety. I would take that in two, two ways. First and foremost, we are in service of the people on the platform and our users, right? And the healthy conversations, healthy, safe, and secure platforms matter. And we have done a lot of work in this space. We have more work continue, that needs to continue to be done. Um, and so that will, never, that will never change. And we will always want to make sure that it's the best user experience possible. I think as it relates to uh, like sort of profit that comes from purpose, um, certainly you could say growth of a user base. And you're going to have a larger audience when people feel like they are comfortable and safe coming to the platform to be able to engage in that public conversation. Um, that certainly helps because advertisers want to reach people. Um, but the original intention of the priority was not about making money. And um, what I really love about our CFO and about Jack is they consistently will always prioritize the work that needs to be done that might be less about, that isn't about revenue, but actually helps to support that health objective. So final thing on this, one of your most ardent users is the President of the United States. Um, has this been good marketing for the power of Twitter? I get asked that question all the time. Oh, well. And, and he likes to tweet. He, he does like to tweet. But there are a lot of people that like to tweet. And Not all of them are president of the United States, though. <laughs> so he, he has the title, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the only person that tweets. So um, while we, well, yes, he is on the platform, the there has, he has not chosen, been. He has chosen Twitter as his preferred. They don't have the daily news briefing yeah. anymore. And some of the reporting has said he doesn't see the need to put someone out there because he can just use Twitter. I think what he is demonstrating is a transition in the way that we look at political leaders. Right, the way that political leaders today connect authentically with an audience or with a with a base or with a constituency. And this is this is just a transformation in the way that communication happens today. The most successful brands on the platform are those that 
are authentic and are conversational with people. And you're seeing that same, that same trend with, with political leaders, not just in the US though, in multiple markets around the world. We've just had a series of elections. Yeah, so let's, let's bring this back to the brand uh, conversation. Um, one of the, the things that I've noticed about brands is this trend of brands trying to act like your best friend, like your, your cool friend, you know, Arby's with the one-liners and stuff like this. What is the data that, this is effective? I'm going to reframe the question. Uh, it's happening live here. I think likely the, not the question was, is it effective to act like your best friend? Um, well, I don't know how authentic it is for like a burger to be acting yeah. like, you know, with the one-liners and getting into fights with other burgers. So I'm going to transition that question to, do we feel or do we find that conversation between a brand and people actually matters? Yes, absolutely. And interestingly enough, on our platform, we find that 20% that, that people on our platform are 20% more likely to expect brands to be on the platform, and they're 50% more likely to expect brands to communicate and engage with them versus every other social platform out there. So it isn't because of the intimacy of the platform, that absolutely is an expectation. I think what your tone of voice is and how that authentically represents you as a brand is, is something that we work um, pretty deeply with many clients around the world to help get, get right um, and ensure that it comes from a place of realness and truth and authenticity for that particular brand. Some can speak in a best friend tone, some can speak in a comedic tone, some can speak in one that's a subject matter expert on a particular area, topic, or category. I want to take a quick break here. If you're like me, you're probably looking for one place where you can watch the latest Taylor Swift music video and you can reminisce with your favorite Aerosmith video. That's why you'll want to go to Vivo. Vivo is the leading provider of premium music videos. Visit vivo.com advertising to learn more about how your brand can harness the power of music videos. Now back to the episode. Okay, give me, give me one of your favorite examples of a brand on Twitter that's doing it right. Certainly the... Probably the, your biggest advertiser, but... but. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think Wendy's does an exceptional job of really getting the conversational tone right for their brand, right? Like, it's very true to them. The other piece... They're fighting with Arby's, right? <laughs> it's a part of their tone, okay. which I love, is that they engage other brands. It's not just one brand. They engage other brands, and they engage people. So they are highly leaned into listening to the conversation. They're highly leaned into cultural context of what's going on in the broader world and what's happening on Twitter. And they are not afraid to engage in that discussion. And as a result, the customer loyalty that comes from that experience is exceptional. Now, on the flip side, you have a brand like Cisco who actually hosts incredible thought leadership work and they brought they um, live broadcasted their entire experience just a few, I think it was like two months ago, where they usually have like 700 thought leaders in the audience. They were able to scale that to millions of people around the world. Totally different tone of voice, 
totally different companies and different objectives, but doing it in the right way that people and users and customers ultimately want to engage in and learn from. So I know this, you're going to say it depends because everyone says it depends to these things. Um, but if a marketer is like asking you um, how Twitter differentiates from like a, a much larger platform, like one called Facebook, what's your go-to response? Like what, what job does Twitter do that Facebook can't do? I, the two jobs that we do really, really well is allowing a brand to launch something new and allowing them to connect with, with what's happening in the world. Those, and, and the reason why we are uniquely set up relative to any other platform is because our audience is truly the most receptive and the most leaned in. And also because it's, an, it's a public platform and people come to Twitter to be able to, to learn, to debate, discuss, to understand events, topics, interests that they care about in the world. That is very different from other platforms. Okay, so finally it was with publishers. Um, you know, I think we went through this period of the, you know, the Gartner hype cycle, the trough of disappointment when it comes to publishers and um, platforms. Um, because I, I've never been on a panel where someone said the trough of disappointment. Yes. I like that. It's a very deep and long trough when it comes to publishing. Um, because, you know, they rushed to embrace platforms. They got a lot of traffic from platforms. They never really translated those supposed audiences, they weren't really their audiences, into revenue, which businesses tend to like. Um, how, how are you, are you seeing, are you having more different types of conversations? I know this is slightly outside of your, but your purview, but like, are you having different types of conversations with publishers when it comes to how they can use Twitter in a way that is not just about quote unquote engagement, but is about real business goals, like real revenue? Absolutely, and um, this is Kay Mandati's world too, I think is here as well. Um, the thing that is most important and I think probably also most differentiated is that we really believe in the publisher ecosystem and we look to partner with them and help drive reach, relevance, and revenue for them. So the way that we structure our deals is to make sure that they, that they are growing, that they are seeing an actual uh, contributor to their bottom line. And what we've actually seen over the course of the last two years is a 60% increase in payouts. So every partnership that we look to do is complementary to them. And we are, we are never competing for rights, for example, against another publisher. We're always- So, so wait, let me yeah. just back that up. So the amount of money you've paid to publishers is up 60%? Correct. Okay, from a small base? <laughs> um, so I do think it's important to go back to reach relevance and revenue because the revenue piece shows that it's working, right? It shows that, as you talked about, the trough of disappointment. I firmly believe and the company firmly believes that we are better as a society when the broader ecosystem that's inclusive of the incredible publishers, the journalists that make up our publishers, actually make us a better platform and allow for greater discussion around here and around the world. Now, from a reach perspective, what we help to contribute to them is scale and audience, right? So that's, that's particularly important. 
from a relevance perspective, we help to ensure that their content is getting in front of the right audience at the right time. And then from a revenue perspective, we actually provide products to them that they can monetize, that they can actually help bring brands in front of their content to be able to view. The benefit for brands is that then it is then high quality, brand safe, scaled, um, scaled high impact inventory that helps them to drive real business results. Give me, give me one example you think of a publisher that this kind of partnership's working really well for both sides. I, I can give a variety of different examples. Let's just um, choose one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have a long time on this stage. <laughs> we have the next two hours. <laughs> um, I think TikTok does a wonderful job from Bloomberg. Um, and just speaking to the point around how it's not just about revenue, but it's actually about supporting the broader ecosystem. They've increased the amount of employees that they have inside of their um, company to specifically work on TikTok in order to bring news and journalism and breaking stories to the platform each and every day. And they're, they're customizing and creating for Twitter, which is one of the best practices that we see from the entirety of the publisher ecosystem. When they're really listening to the conversations that are happening on the platform, when they're really trying to understand what people are, are interested in, and then they're building concepts, when they're building content pro um, programs around that, we see incredible results. So uh, that, because I mean, they put significant resources against that, and, and you guys were the sort of launch partner. It's on other platforms now. but. I mean, my understanding of it is there was some guarantee that they're going to make money off this. Because I think when I talk about the trough of disappointment, I mean like publishers like spinning up Snapchat studios and then not seeing the revenue come close to the cost, or you know, even some, some of Facebook's programs. I know you were at Facebook, but some publishers were a little disappointed by some of those. Um, but like, I mean, you you guys worked together to make sure that this was not going to be a giant money losing endeavor. So our team, and what I love about the partnership um, with a lot of our different publishers, is actually focused on taking also a lot of the assets and the programs that they have today and helping to bring the best of Twitter to those programs. So for example, at the New Fronts, we launched our partnership with MTV around the Movie Awards. And we're actually going to have a stand cam at the award ceremony and on Twitter, you're going to be able to vote on who the stand cam, which celebrity the stand cam is focused on, and which celebrity ultimately the stand cam is going to follow. You now have an opportunity to further scale that super incredible experience that is on TV all the way through to giving people a platform and a place to have a conversation around that event or around that experience. And that doesn't require kicking up an entire studio that's actually just being really thoughtful around our partnership and the key attributes of our platform that power the, the people on the platform, but also power the publisher. Um, so you were at Facebook for several years, but then you took had a brief stint in publishing at Refinery29. What did you take away from the publishing world other than go back to a tech company? <laughs> the, um, <laughs> that's funny. So. The first day of my um, yeah, my first day at Refinery, Facebook announced the algo change that um, took away all the traffic to the publishers that you're probably referring to. Um, that was your first day. That was my first day. Oh, really? And um, the thing that I loved about that happening then is we really got to move 
the publisher mindset and strategy away from growth hacking, right? And I was talking earlier about the power of our audience and how leaned in and receptive they are. And one of the things as we look to diversify our distribution strategy and bring people back to both the owned and operated site, but as well scale our content across social platforms, we saw the number one referral traffic coming from Twitter. And that's because, again, people are interested in what's happening around them. This platform is not about, look at me. It's about, look at this. This just happened. This is interesting. And this is why they're influencers. Okay, Sarah, thank you for joining me. For thank this you. And thank you all for listening. This episode is produced by Aditi Sangal in collaboration with the team on site at the Twitter Beach. Uh, they were they were very wonderful to work with. And I'll be back tomorrow with the final episode of this special series. Thank you. <laughs>